So one of the things that you may or may not know is that the money that we give to mission uh, is based off of the percentage uh, is, is always 22.1% or it has been since I've been here. And it's always based on the previous years, uh, what we have received, which means, of course, then next year uh, we get to give over $50,000 more away than we were able to give away this year, which is, which is outstanding. But you also know, as Todd already shared, that we have a $108,000 surplus. And, and this, we had our finance folks look back, at least through 1998, uh, as we go back to our history, we have never seen a surplus like that. In fact, the most that we had ever seen is around $30,000. And so this was kind of new territory uh, for us, for all of us who was gathered. It certainly was for me as a pastor. And, and so we, as we were thinking about next year's budget and what we could do, uh, we were going to take that 108 and all that, and we were going to put it into next year's budget, and that was going to be great. And then uh, a couple months ago at our session meeting, as we did that, there was this instigator. There was always one who's kind of slightly annoying, but is always bringing things up. And, and so this, uh, this one elder said, you know what? We, we weren't actually expecting to get this surplus. Don't you think that at least maybe maybe some of this we could give away. And, and you know, I, I, I thought, you know, I mean, I'm the pastor, so I'm supposed to say something like, I think that's a great idea. Why don't we do that next year, right? And, and so, but, but, but we started wrestling with that a little bit more. And, and the question was, well, what do you do with this surplus? What should we do? And, and so he said, well, maybe, maybe, like, maybe like 50% of it, maybe we could give away 5-0% of this and, and, and just kind of, and kind of give it away. And, and there was some real kind of wrestling with that from me, I'll, I'll be honest with you, because that's a lot of pressure then. If you took that 108 and you started off 108 in the good for the next year, I'm no finance wizard, but I know that's good. That's really helpful. But we kept wrestling with that. And as I've reflected on that, there was a story that came to my mind, a story that you all know. It's probably, I don't know, it's within the top five most well-known stories, which is the story of Peter walking on water. As you know, they were in the storm, and all of a sudden they saw someone coming out, and they realized it was Jesus. And, and, and Peter looked out, and Peter said, because only Peter would do this, right? Peter said, hey, can I, uh, can I walk out there to you on the water? And, and Jesus said, okay. And, and so the Gospel of Matthew then goes on and says, uh, Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. One of the things that I love about this particular uh, part of the story, there's a couple of things. The first is what we talked about last week, which is the reality that a church and disciples, we are always called to take risks. That Jesus is always calling us to take risks. It is easy in the story of Peter uh, and walking on water to look at what happened in the end. Right To look at how he started sinking and how his faith began to, to quiver, if you will. And, and it's easy to think about all the other disciples who are out there in the boat kind of you know, laughing and snickering as, as, as Peter kind of comes back on the boat and he's all wet. It's easy to think about that. But here's another way to look at it, it seems to me, which is that none of those other disciples could ever say that they had walked on water. And long after Peter had dried out, and is sitting there on the shore, and for the rest of his life, and to his children, and his children's children, and all of those children, all of those covenant children, until this day, when we continue to teach the story, it is only Jesus and Peter to whom we talk about the reality that they did something remarkable, which is that they walked on water. 
And so we always know that there is risk, and our call is always to do things that may be slightly dangerous. The other part of it, of course, is that the risks are real. These aren't made-up risks, right? There, when he noticed the strong wind, right? When he noticed the strong wind, probably all of a sudden what he did, he looked down and he saw that he was standing on top of, and most of us do not stand on top of, Despite what we might think, we do not stand on top of water. And so the risks were real, and he began to sink. These risks are real, and yet God continues to call us to take risks. Right? Which is why, as we sat there as a session and wrestled with this, we realized, yes, as I said a couple of weeks ago, the stock market could sink. And ten months from now, I could stand up here and say to you, oh... That was really stupid of us to not have taken that whole 108 and use it for what we're doing. We decided, as your elders, we decided that we were going to be a church that was never content to simply sit there in the boat. But we said, no, we will take risk, and whatever risk may come, however wet we may become, we know that this is what God has called us to do. And so that's why we decided we were going to give away $54,000 in order because it was $54,000 we never expected. And as we wrestled with where we give that money, one of the things that we realized, one of the things that I was uh, wrestling with was, was there is so much bad news all the time that we get to hear here in India and across the globe. And, and, and oftentimes it almost feels like it's too much and there's nothing we can do. And one of the things that we hear about a lot is the violence and other kinds of crime going on in Indianapolis. And one of the most heartbreaking things, it seems to me, is when it's a young offender. And, and oftentimes, you know, the young offenders, once they start as a juvenile, once they start in that system, all of a sudden, everything, it seems like it just kind of continues. And so, we were told about this newer ministry started by Youth for Christ, an organization that I really love and, uh, and think they do good work, a new ministry called Juvenile Justice ministry. And the director of that is here right now. His name is Chase Yarbrough, which I think he should also be like the second baseman for the Milwaukee Brewers or something. It's a great name, Chase Yarbrough. And so Chase, I'm going to ask if you would come up here. Chase is the director of the Juvenile Justice Ministry. And this is a, a newer ministry. It's mostly just been you since the end of 2016, I think. And now you all are ready to kind of roll out a program in a little bit bigger fashion. And so will you just kind of tell us what, what, what the juvenile system is like right now and what you've discovered over the last year or so? Ooh, what is the juvenile justice system like? Is, that's a great question. Um, I have the awesome opportunity to work in the Marion County Juvenile Detention Center. They serve about 2,200 kids a year. Uh, and hearing all these stories, they are the most broken, hurting young people I've ever worked with in my life. Uh, but there's hope in that place. There, there's been this new thing happening there where kids are more receptive to the gospel. They're more receptive to, to what the good news is, right? And so I, I have the amazing privilege to lead several Bible studies in the group uh, to what I consider start cleaning the lenses of the way that these kids see God because they have all these distortions from their experiences in life. And so uh, I, I get to be a part of that. Uh, but, uh, I was talking to Jerry, and there's a statistic that shows nationwide that a kid that goes back into their communities, talking about communities today, 
70% of them will either end up in the juvenile detention center or in prison in the next two years. 70%. So that, that's a big deal, right? That's, that's 1,500 of those 2,200 kids will end up in some facility again. Um, but with what we're rolling out is what we're calling our aftercare program with one-on-one mentoring and just life skills planning and programming uh, is it, studies have shown that it, that percentage goes from 70% to 20% with partnering with a one-on-one mentor with effective ministry uh, to keep them, one, out of the communities that have negatively affected them, but also uh, partnering them with a positive adult, which uh, in our, our world are, are Christians that are speaking truth, identity, love, uh, which is something a lot of these kids have never experienced Great. before. So. Is there one story that you have that you can tell in 15 seconds? I'm just kidding. I, but that you can tell? I'm just I, kidding. You have 20 seconds at I, least. But that 20 you can seconds. Tell, 20 yeah. seconds. Here we go. Uh, well, one, uh, we had the awesome privilege to baptize 14 kids in the facility on Thursday. Uh, these kids have pres- uh, had... Uh, had said they, they believed in Jesus. We walked through a, a plan, a discipleship plan with them, and so we got to uh, baptize them. But the story that I have is about a, uh, a young man, can't say his name, uh, that has been in and out of the juvenile detention center since he was 14. He's now 16. Uh, I had seen him four times in the last year come in and out of the facility, uh, and I told him every time, hit me up whenever you get out, and we can talk, right? Um, and so, finally, this fourth time, he messaged me online, and he said, I can't do it anymore. And so, I went and picked him up, and we sat down, had some steak and shake, uh, their favorite for some reason. Uh, and uh, we, we created a plan. He's now been out of the facility for six months, which is the longest that he's ever been out since he uh, started going in at, at 14. Uh, he has caught up on school, which he was like two years behind. He's caught up in six months. Uh, he has a full-time job working for a construction company, making $19 an hour. Uh, makes me second-guess what I'm doing because I'm not making $19 <laughs> an hour. Uh, but uh, and he, you see the hope in his eyes, right? He's going on a camping trip with us at the end of the month. Uh, and the conversations we're having are just incredible. This kid that comes from a broken home, abuse, is now starting to step into his true identity. So uh, that young man, love him. He's great. So. Thanks, Chase. Yeah, and so this summer program then that they're kicking off, this is kind of a seed program, it seems to me. Uh, it cost a little over $17,000 for them to kind of do that. And so we have agreed um, that all of us um, are giving them $18,000. I wish I had a big check right here. Uh, I don't have one, but are giving, are, are giving Youth for Christ for this program $18,000 to run their whole summer program. And so we just want to thank you for the work that you do, and it is our joy to be able to do that with you today, Chase. Thank you all. Thank all y'all for y'all's generosity. So... So we get to participate in that. Um, we also have decided that we're going to um, give um, a, a Straight Up, who you know, a ministry that we talk a lot about, Northwest Indy. Um, they do a summer camp, and so we're going to give $9,000 to them. That will be scholarships for 65 kids, inner-city kids, to go for a three-day camp. And so we were, we were excited about that. And, uh, but we also knew um, that a part of our call is to help our community, and I usually say, and our world, look more like the kingdom of God. And if I were to say to you, what's one place that you hear about all the time? 
something that's typically negative right now in our day and age, it would be the country of Syria. Syria, we hear about it again and again, and there's always that question of what can we do? About a year and a half ago or so, it was on Christmas Eve, I showed this picture here. This was a, this was a Christian church in Aleppo. They're actually Presbyterians. There's a lot of Presbyterians uh, in Syria, surprisingly enough. And, and this was rebuilt, uh, and this was kind of a candlelight service that they did. You can see it here in the daylight here with uh, doing some children's programming there. Aleppo is, again, is a city that you hear about a lot. And so, so we, we, we talk about kind of what the things that are going on. I think we have, uh, do we have another picture here? Well, so one of the things that they decided to do is that these were Christians. I want you to hear this. These were Christians who decided to stay. Many of them could have left, but they decided we are going to stay here because we think we have a mission. And so they began to stay. And there was an area just outside of Aleppo. The name has left me. It starts with a J. It is not an English name. And so I cannot remember it. So I won't make it up. But right outside on the outskirts where they were, it was 100% Muslim that were there. And they were, it was basically like an old factory. And they were staying there late or all night and for, for many days. And there were people there who were starving. And so what the church in Aleppo did through the Outreach Foundation, a, a, a group that we partner with, they decided, here's a group of Christians, and they decided they were going to give them food, right? So what they did was they went into that area and they found the people who were the worst off, the, the widows who would have no one to take care of them, the children who perhaps had lost a father, and they gave them little vouchers and had them come back to the church. Because if you just show up at a place like that with a bunch of food, there's going to be a riot. And so they brought them back. And here um, you can see some other pictures here. Um, this is some of the people who, who they were able to feed. Let's just kind of keep going through. Um, you can see this, this, this uh, uh, mother and son. And then there's another picture here. Uh, there's a kid there, right? And then just keep going through. Look at that. Look at the thanks and the, and the gratitude, right? I mean, this was this kind of remarkable time that they had to be able to feed people in Syria, a people who were under constant warfare. And one of the things then, as you can imagine, these Christians, this pastor is by Pastor Ibrahim is the name of the pastor. They are exhausted, I mean, when you are living under that constant pressure of war and bombs and guns and poverty and hunger, and you are also trying to give, it is incredibly exhausting. And so, 12 years ago, they bought this little land out north, right by Lebanon. Okay, good, Lebanon. Uh, not Lebanon. I try to get it right. In this little, this little town here called Alhust, right? And there in that town, what they did was they bought land that they wanted to have a retreat center. And so what the Outreach Foundation has done is they have decided, they have said, we are going to build a retreat center here. And it's going to be a place where you can come and you can rest. It's going to be a place where you can come with your church and celebrate God. It's going to be a place where you can come and learn. But it is going to be a bit of an oasis in a town and in a country, I should say, that has undergone constant warfare. And so what we're going to do, you can see the city is right here. And then in this next slide, you can see this is kind of what they have proposed. And what we have decided is that we are going to give $27,000 in order to help build this retreat center there in the middle of Syria. Here's what I want you to know. There is a lady. She's going to be here the first Sunday of August. Do not miss it. Her name is Marilyn Borst. She is slightly crazy. And she is all the time taking people, Christians, into Syria and Iraq. And the reason she does it, she says, 
is because of this. Is that when she is there with those Christians, they say to her, what your coming has done has reminded us that we are not alone. And so often, when we are here in this place cut off from everything else and not knowing what is going to happen today, not to mention tomorrow, we begin to feel that we are alone. And one of the things that we have the opportunity to do, sisters and brothers in Christ, is to remind them, they don't know us from Zionsville Presbyterian Church, but is to remind them that they are not alone. And that $27,000, it is going to fund either half the dining hall or half the chapel. You decide which one you want. I go with half the dining hall because you can eat and pray in the same place and sometimes you can't take food into a chapel, right? But we get to do that. And my hope and prayer is someday, when my kids get a little bit older, that I will be one of those who gets to go over and see that retreat center and see the place where people who have been battling war day in and day out were able to go and be at peace. And here's what I want you to know. Make no mistake about it. If a year from now I have to stand up here and I have to say, man, we are hurting when it comes to money. I want you to know it will be completely worth it. Because I know half a world away there is a place that is being built because of the funds that we have given to them where they can have respite. And I'll stand up here every day and beg you for something more if I know it's been worth it. Because there is some kid who is now safe and is able to have some rest and peace. Peace in this war-torn country. I will get all wet, no problem, if we can be a people who are making a difference, not just here, but across the globe. And so my hope and prayer, brothers and sisters in Christ, is this. I know it's good news and bad news. The bad news is you're not walking away with, out of here with a new car. The good news is you're walking away from here having changed the life of people here and people all the way to Syria. And if we can't celebrate that, then we are in trouble. Sisters and brothers in Christ, thank you. Sisters and brothers in Christ, may we each and every day look more like Jesus. And may this community and this world look more like God's coming kingdom. Let us pray. Jesus, we come to you this morning giving you praise for the faithfulness of your people. Knowing, Lord, that the work that we do here makes a difference. And so we give you praise for that. May we never forget amidst the everyday life, amidst all of the to-dos that we have to do, that there are those in our city and those across the globe whose lives have been changed because of our work here, the work in which you are doing through us. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. And let's